0: Um, This is my family, uh, my wife and three children. We've been over in Africa for just a little bit, uh, around four years Um, in East Africa. I'll show you a picture of that in a moment. Um, We have been investing our lives in young men that are planting churches, teaching the Bible, loving people, and reaching the lost. And uh, we have just seen God do abundantly and beyond what we could ever ask or think. Um, I know Pastor John said, you know, there's these great people that go, but we're just ordinary people just like yourself that really, um, as I look back on the last four years and what God has done, uh, the planting of a number of churches in um, Uganda and other places throughout East Africa, I'm really ultimately surprised. I'm just surprised that God continues uh, to use us in our, our simplicity, in our obedience, in our um, faith in him, really, believing that God desires to love people. Um, I'm gonna just queue up some of these pictures, I'll show the next one. Um, Like I said, we've been planting churches with men. Uh, We ourselves are not planting the churches, we're standing with men, uh, mentoring them, empowering them to actually do the work themselves, surrounding them with teams of people, worship leaders and children's ministry people, to go out into areas that they have a burden for and plant churches. Um, around the the capital city of Uganda, which is Kampala, a city that was built for 1 million people but actually houses about 8 million people. Um, So you can imagine the chaos that's going on in a town like that. Um, As we drive, there's multiples upon multiples of motorcycles, taxis, people cattle, so forth, roaming the streets, and so it's just a very chaotic place, but God is doing something with these men, as you see above behind me. Um, We have seen the planting of six churches in the local area from Entebbe to Mekono and around the the central uh, capital area. And just watching God do uh, abundantly beyond, as I mentioned, what we can ask or think. This picture here is a group of the men and their wives that we work with, Um, some amazing men that are sacrificing their lives uh, for the gospel and for the word of God. And this was our first um, uh, husbands and wives retreat with these men and women. Um, Actually, you guys played a big part in this. Uh, At this retreat, they came and were given a huge gift gift basket. One of those um, things that they received was a Kindle, uh, a Kindle reader filled with books on theology, teaching the Bible, discipleship, leadership. Uh, You guys actually invested in that and sent the money over for us to do that. And those guys are using those things, they're able to study the word now um, more effectively and uh, fruitfully so thank you for your support in that and they thank you uh, probably more than I thank you. Uh, We'll go to the next picture. Now one of the things that we had in our heart as we went and planted churches with these guys is that this wouldn't just stop with them but it actually would multiply itself um, like a disease, uh, a good, pure disease of the word of God getting into lives and then spreading and multiplying uh, upon itself. Uh, a year ago, May, there was a, a young man that I met when I first moved over. His name was Elvis. Um, He's a Burundian, uh, has been in uh, Uganda for the last 13 years, and he really had in his heart, I want to plant a church. And um, last May, he planted a church, and some exciting things are happening with him. Uh, He's reaching Burundian refugees, so he has his church, and in the afternoon he goes to another uh, facility and ministers to 200 Burundian refugees in their language. Um, But one of the exciting things for me as I watch this is that his assistant pastor um, began to, you know, have a desire to plant a church, went up in the northwest of the country by Congo and the south of Sudan, and reached out to a group of people uh, on a mission, and 20 or 30 people got saved one day. And so for the last um, eight months, we've been supporting him to go back to this place and minister to this group of people, and is actually growing a group of people that, yeah, live in these mud huts in the middle of nowhere, uh, no pure water, um, no one around them, no educational system, but most importantly, no church. And so this guy's been going, and people have been getting saved and being discipled, and so we're seeing churches planting churches and and missionaries multiplying into missionaries. And you guys are a part of that. We're all a part of that. As one steps out in faith, um, another uh, sows, another uh, waters, another gives, another prays, and we all play a large part in that. Now, one of the things that um, is a bit... Of, a, of a, a surprise to us, also, besides God using us, is around December or January of this year, we just really felt, my wife and I, that the task that God had for us was, was coming to a close. We saw the guys going out, their churches were uh, established, they were healthy churches, they had good leaders around them, they're teaching the word, people were getting saved, and um, we were kind of in the way. Uh, our desire has never been to lead, but just really come underneath and serve these men and their families and the church, and um, we just felt like, Lord, okay, maybe we're done here. And the Lord confirmed that um, through His Word and through through others, and we felt like, okay, what's next? And we began to pray, and uh, God has opened a door for us to move to South Africa. Now I'll show you a picture. Um, I don't know if we've got the picture of the map, the last picture. Um, Maybe not. Oh, sorry. Nope. Um, But Uganda is in the northeast of Africa. Africa is made up of 54 countries, and um, I don't know exactly the the statistics, but um, there in that country, in that continent, you can fit about um, four of the land mass of the U.S., and so it's a radically large um, continent with so many people. And so we're moving from the northeast down to the very, very southernmost tip. You can't actually go any further unless you're going to Antarctica. And so we're gonna be there in Cape Town. Come, there you go. Uh, So we're in that red dot before and now we're going way, way down to the bottom. Um, And you can see where you're at. Um, So a tremendous step of faith over the next um, three weeks. We moved there September 19th. uh, We leave uh, to go to Cape Town and assist again a work there in Cape Town of men um, that are planting churches, uh, leadership training, um, development of leaders in churches, and really just hoping and praying that God would just multiply this across the entire continent of Africa, amen? Because God is about people, and most importantly, God is about his own name being worshiped uh, across the globe. Let's pray, and we're gonna get into Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. Lord, I want to thank you for just what you're doing here and um, just sense your presence here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the worship uh, that you have allowed us to partake in. Thank you, Lord, that you are present here with us and your spirit is moving in our hearts, and I pray, God, that as we get into your word and we thank you for and celebrate what you've been doing in Africa, uh, we want to look right now, Lord, at your word and ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we believe that you have a word for us this morning, that you're present here and that your spirit desires to implant a word in our hearts, God. And so I pray for open minds and open hearts. I pray that our our hearts and minds would be attentive to your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would just work in the way that you desire to work. Um, what I did not mention is afterwards, I'd love to talk to you about what God is doing over there if you have more interest in how you can pray more specifically on those cards is all of our social media outlets so you can keep up with what we're doing. We're gonna be in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. One of the things that I'm uh, very, very certain of and as I mentioned as I began is that we are in a spiritual battle. Um, that is the battle that, as Paul mentions in the book of Ephesians chapter six is not a battle of flesh and blood, but a battle of powers and spiritual forces and darkness. Now, one of the things that we have to recognize that when we talk about the spiritual battle and when we talk about this battle between good and evil, there is a misconception that we often think in our minds, in our small uh, mindset and perspective, is that at, at, at one point, maybe, perhaps, evil might overtake good. You know, in today's day, as we look at the cultural surroundings and the political scenes and religious happenings and terrorists and so forth and so on, it seems like, wow, is the enemy actually winning the battle? But we know from Scripture that although the battle is spiritual, we have been made by Jesus himself more than conquerors in Christ, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Now, when we look at the life of Jehoshaphat in chapter 19 and chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, we recognize that we find Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, in a battle. Now, whether it's his battle or our battle, ultimately, I want to make this point. If we make any point this morning, the battle is for not flesh and blood, but for our heart, for our heart. It's a battle of our worship. Who will we worship? It's a battle of perspective. Will we be more impressed with our crisis or our battle, or will we be more impressed with God himself? And we know that whenever um, a man or a woman sets their heart right before the Lord as we see in the life of Jehoshaphat chapter 19 as he began to repent of some sin that was going on in his life. He made a, a, a bad decision to make a relationship with Ahab, a very evil king, as we remember from the book of 1 Kings and the life of Elijah. He's called onto the carpet and says, Jehoshaphat, are you building a relationship with people who hate Hate God. And Jehoshaphat is face to face with his own circumstance and his own sin and begins to repent. And what happens in the life of Jehoshaphat is he begins to set things right. He begins to set his heart right. He begins to set his perspective right. He gets back into the Word of God and the worship of God. And not only does he do this himself, but he sets those around him in a place where they can hear God again. Now, another misconception is that when we set our heart right, the enemy just leaves us alone. Now, for any of us that are walking with God, we know that when we rise up to build or we desire more of God, it seems like the battle rages more and more. Now, let's look at uh, chapter 20. I'm gonna read a few verses and then we'll see what's happening in the life of this man. As he sets things right, the enemy rises up with all of his fury. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast through all Judah, And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now, what do we see happening here in the life of Jehoshaphat? As he set his life right and the people of God right to worship God, to re-engage in a relationship with God alone, not to trust in their own strength or in the strength of those that they can ally with, the enemy was not happy. And so these people that God had at one point protected the children of Israel from, he's allowing sovereignly for these people to come in battle against his people. Not out of judgment, but so that God himself can prove himself strong. A great multitude is coming against you. Now the response of Jehoshaphat in chapter chapter twenty verse three gives us some great insight not only into Jehoshaphat but ourselves. It says there when he heard this that these people were coming from beyond the sea, and actually they had passed through the sea, and they were actually almost to Jehoshaphat. In verse three it says Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now, Jehoshaphat, in hearing the report and seeing the people, as he would look out on the circumstances and the crisis, he responds or reacts emotionally, much like we do when we're faced with a crisis. Not a sin to be afraid, but Jehoshaphat responds, first and foremost, with fear. I don't know about you, but I can identify with Jehoshaphat. Though we are called to be men of courage, oftentimes there's a problem in my own heart, and that's a problem of fear, a problem of anxiety, of worry, that as I mentioned earlier, I'm more impressed with my circumstances or the crisis coming against me than I am with God. Now, Jehoshaphat He responds in fear, but he does something different that will set the pace for this battle. Although he's afraid, it says there, he sets or he set his face to seek the Lord. He reacts in emotion. He reacts naturally in his humanness. We love that the Scriptures oftentimes give us, these men, strong, able, talented, gifted men, but this man is afraid. But because of what God was doing in his heart in chapter 19, the intimacy that was created in chapter 19 allows him to respond to the crisis here in chapter 20. And what he does, he sets his face to seek the Lord. Wherever the enemy creates fear, God creates it or can turn it into opportunities of faith. If, like Jehoshaphat, we will set our face to seek the Lord. Now he seeks the Lord and he's so certain of his need of God, he actually proclaims a fast. Everything that is of sustenance to Jehoshaphat, everything that would, would nourish him, is set aside that he might see God. The crisis is so radically desperate that Jehoshaphat gives up everything that he might not only seek the face of the Lord but hear from God. Now, one of the things that we see in chapter 20 verse four, it says, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord also from all of the cities they came to seek the Lord. One of the things I've been amazed at as we've been living in Africa is that we are a minority. Now when you're walking in a city of thousands upon thousands of people, you realize first and foremost that my skin's different than the skin of every other person in this place. And the one thing I've recognized is that people are watching my life, and people are watching. Your life. You may not be distinctly picked out of a crowd, but people are watching your life and my life. Over the four years, I can't tell you how many times people would come up and say, I saw you walking through town, and this is what you were doing. Thankfully, I was acting in a way that honored God. People are watching our influence People are watching our character, the way we respond to life. I've been watching the way you act with your wife. I've been watching the way you lead and parent your kids. I've been watching the way you interact with people. I watched you when you could have got angry, but you responded in peace. And so what happens here is in the life of Jehoshaphat, as he sets his mind on the Lord, it it changes his response, and people actually are influenced by that response. And they themselves set themselves to seek the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this that the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro and across the entire earth, looking for a man or a woman whose heart is completely and wholeheartedly set on God. Because of what God was doing in Jehoshaphat's life and because of Jehoshaphat's humility in chapter 19, he responds spiritually and God can show himself strong on behalf of Jehoshaphat. And not only on behalf of Jehoshaphat, but as the people of the Lord also set their minds and hearts and eyes on God, they too will see God. Now in 5 through nine, we see a prayer that comes out of the heart of Jehoshaphat. I want to break this down into three things. First of all, if you're taking notes, looking up, looking back, and looking in. Now the first part of Jehoshaphat's prayer is that he stood, verse five, in the assembly of the Lord, in the house of the Lord. He put himself into a place of worship, standing amongst the people of God. But in verse 6, it says this, and he said this, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and the nations in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. The one thing that Jehoshaphat starts his prayer with is remembering who God is. He gets his eyes off himself and off the situation and begins to remind himself who God is. That God is the Lord. That he's all powerful. That he's a God who's created and rules kingdoms and nations. That he's a God of power and might. Exodus chapter 33, when Moses was talking to God, the Lord says this, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God of compassion and mercy, of long suffering and of forgiveness. The one thing that I think that Jehoshaphat is doing here as he sets his mind on God is he's refreshing himself in the character and the nature of God himself. He's not looking at himself or his own abilities or his own failures, or his own inabilities, but he's looking to a great God. And that's oftentimes the first thing that we need to do is that when we face some trial is remember God. And he goes on in verse seven, he says this, did you not our God drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? and they have lived in it and have built it for you, in it a sanctuary for your name. Now, Jehoshaphat not only looks up and he looks at God and says, God, this is who you are. Hallowed be our name. You are a great God. You're a God of power and of might. But he looks back. He looks back in light of the history and the legacy of what God has done for his people. You remember in Joshua chapter four, when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, or I'm sorry, the Jordan River. What did God say to the children of Israel? As those priests stood in the center of the river, he said each of the tribes should gather one stone, a very large stone, and build a very large altar. What was the purpose of that altar? The purpose of that altar was that whenever someone would go back and see that altar, who would they remember? God. They would remember what God did on their behalf. It would not only point to the Jordan River and the crossing of the Jordan, but would also point back to the crossing of the Red Sea. When God brought them out of slavery, when God protected them from Pharaoh's army, And over and over and over again, they would be challenged to look back on the faithfulness and the goodness of God Himself. I think it's important as believers, we're so very forgetful. You know, in this society, we're thrown with so much information, whether it's social media or news or radio or TV, so much is vying for our attention and our mind Our minds can only hold so much information, but it's important that we keep a regular remembrance of ways in which God has moved, ways in which God has provided, ways in which God has blessed, ways in which God has healed, ways in which God has saved. And that's what Joseph is doing here. He's saying, God, you're a great God. And God, in fact, you have been doing great things. As we remember that, our problems or the crisis that we face begins to become more real and our perspective becomes more real. We begin to see that the perspective that we've been holding, that maybe this crisis will overtake me. We begin to see God and say, God, you have made me victorious and triumphant. Now as we continue on it says, if disaster comes upon the sword, upon us the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. You remember chapter 7 Verse 14 of 2 Chronicles, what did God say to the children of Israel? If my people will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, I myself will come and heal their land. Jehoshaphat, as he prays this prayer of God's greatness and God's goodness and faithfulness, he He refreshes himself in the word of God, in the promises of God. One of our greatest tools, in fact, we don't have so many tools. We only have two tools, the word of God and prayer. Jehoshaphat is praying, but he's reminding himself of the importance of the living word of God. These are the things that God has said. Oftentimes, when we're in our greatest battles, we forget what God has said to us. And Jehoshaphat is saying, God, you said that if this happens, and if we do this, humble ourselves, you yourself would come and heal us and battle on our behalf. Verse 10, and now behold the men of Ammon and the Moabites and you. Now the one thing that we see here in the life of Jehoshaphat is that as he begins to see God and he begins to look back on the faithfulness of God and look into the Word of God, there's a humility and a desperateness that happens in the life of Jehoshaphat, that he comes to a place where he recognizes his own need for God. This man would have had great resources financially. He would have had great resources militarily, but he recognizes that this battle that he is up against is a battle that only God can win. Oftentimes we find ourselves in those types of battles, whether it's sickness or relationships, maybe it's financial um, insecurities, maybe it's our own safety, or our own issues of control. Right here he says, we are powerless against this army. But the key is that he says this, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He begins to take his eyes off the battle and he puts them on a person. And God has given us that ability. There's no problem that we haven't already been given an answer through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself. Verse 13, meanwhile all Judah stood before the Lord and their little ones and their wives and their children and the spirit of the Lord came upon them. Jehaziel son of Zachariah, son of Abinaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah and continues on in the midst of the assembly and he said, listen all Judah, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. As Jehoshaphat set his mind on God to seek the Lord and he began to pray and remind himself of the the character of God and he reminded himself of the faithfulness and the goodness of God and the promises of God as he began to humble himself, something happens spontaneously. He begins to set his heart in line with a work of God's spirit. And he's no longer confused. His, his mind and his heart are incredibly clear, but something happens as he does this. It says, the spirit of the Lord comes upon a man. As he and the people would set their hearts right, it was a place in which God could land in their hearts. It was a place in which God could speak to them. They were no longer focused on their circumstances, but they were ready and willing to hear from God. The word of the Lord that would come to them would come through a person, and the word was this, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. The battle is not yours, but God's, and I think that's a word for us today. In a room this size, we're all going through various battles. Some may be small, some may be overwhelmingly large. We may be going through one or multiple battles, but there are battles, and your battle is different than my battle. But the truth of God's word is this, we shouldn't be afraid nor discouraged. The battle that we face is not ours, but God's. Now God gives Jehoshaphat and the people some practical things to do. Although they hear this, they know that God's going to battle on their behalf, they recognize that God wants them to show up for the battle. He says in verse 16, tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up. Uh, by the ascent of Ziz, you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. God wants us to show up to the battle, both mentally and spiritually, and physically, in obedience and in humility. He wants them to do something very specific go down against these people and you will see. What will they see? First of all, they will not need to fight but stand firm. Now, I mentioned Ephesians chapter 6 earlier. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says this, that as we recognize that there's a spiritual battle and God has given us armor to put on for the spiritual battle, the thing that we do that God requires us to do is stand firm. Not to fight, but stand firm. Hold your position and watch and see the salvation of the Lord. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will will be with you. Isn't that a great promise as Jehoshaphat goes and he's obedient, he's faithful to to gather these people. They're gonna go out, they're gonna watch and see the salvation of the Lord. It says there, the promise that God is giving them is that he will be with them. What was the very last words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28? I will be with you always. What did he say to the disciples in chapter 14 of the book of John? I won't leave you as orphans, but I'm sending a helper for you, the Holy Spirit. And that's the same promise that we have today. Now I wanna end on this last portion. Verse 18 through 22, there's some interesting things. Now the one thing I love about the scriptures and when we watch God uh, through the Old Testament conquer people, there's never the same battle plan. Sometimes he says, you know, walk around the city seven times and then blow the trumpet. Sometimes he says, listen for the the rustling of the trees. Sometimes he says, go around and come in. Or sometimes he says, just go straight in. But here, it's a very interesting battle plan. And I think that this is a great battle plan for us today. Whatever you're facing, whatever circumstance or crisis you might find yourself in, it says this, that when Jehoshaphat heard all this, he bowed his face to the ground, humbled himself, peace entered his life. And it says this, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. There's a spontaneous worship service that comes from these people. They stood up and some praised the Lord with a very loud voice. Something happened in the hearts of these people when they saw God and they heard God, they worshiped God. As we continue on, it says they rose early in the morning. Jehosh- Jehoshaphat says to them, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established, believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. Now, I want to just say something real quick on this principle before I get to the principle of worship. I was talking with um, my dad yesterday, and uh, we're talking about some particular crisis that's happening in the family, and um, I gave some insight about how the Lord might want to work, and um, I felt like, like, He didn't believe that God could move on behalf of this situation. And it kind of frustrated me, and it kind of angered me, but God said to me, what about your problems? Do you believe in me for your situation? One of the things that we have to recognize is that we can't just believe things about God. We have to believe in God himself. Here's a place of trust. Jehoshaphat is bringing these people to a place of trust. Trust God. We've heard from him. We've prayed to him. We're worshiping him. We've got everybody standing here. He's given us a battle plan. He's given us a promise. Now we have to stand firm, but most importantly, we have to trust and believe in him. Now it ends here, it says there, and when they had taken the counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attires. They went before the army and said this, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of, Ammon, men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. Ultimately, these men began to fight themselves and they kill themselves. And at the end of that chapter, it says that the children of Israel went in to take the spoil and it was too much for them to carry. And there was rest all around their life. The key to this battle was this. At the very end, the thing that brought them victory was worshiping God. Now let's end with one thought here. Let's look over at Isaiah chapter 42. Now, I wanna bring out a principle in the last five minutes or so of worship. I think we trust that we're to be in the word of God and and we, we are to look into the promises of God and learn about God in the word of God. It's living and powerful and prepares us for battle. We know that prayer is so important and oftentimes we're, we're just spontaneously asking God for this or for that. Um, but worship is so important. You know, when we worship, we take what the enemy has intended for good and we fuel it for the battle. We, we use it as warfare against him. Now, in verse 9 of chapter 42, I just want to bring out two, a couple thoughts here and we'll wrap up. God is speaking to Isaiah about Jesus in verse one through eight, and it says, Behold, former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. know, the children of Israel at that time were looking for something new to happen. They were downcast and despondent and depressed, and they were looking for something new to happen. God tells them, the former things are passing. I'm about to do a new thing. The same thing that Jehoshaphat was hearing from God was that God was about to do something new in the children of Israel on their behalf. God is promising the children of Israel here. Now, the key to that was verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new psalm. The Psalms say that God inhabits the praises of His people. Now as we see that, the next verse, coming down to um, verse 13, as the people of God would praise Him, they would believe in Him for new things, it says here in verse 13, the Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, He stirs up His zeal. He cries out, he shouts alone, aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. As we begin to, to look at our situation and we begin um, to set our eyes to seek God, we pray and remind ourselves of God's character and of God's goodness and faithfulness, of God's promises. One of the things that God would have us to do is worship him. This new song that the children of Israel sing stirs up the Lord himself. And it says there that the Lord himself goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal and he cries and he shouts and he shows himself mighty against his foes. We learn some tremendous principles from the life of Jehoshaphat. These are principles that are not for tomorrow or for the past or for today right now, that we ourselves would set our hearts on God and give him a platform in our own circumstances, our own challenges, that he, as I mentioned earlier, might show himself strong on our behalf. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you... um, have promised us that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Lord, that we have been bought with a price. Lord, that we are yours and we are your chosen people. Lord, that you uh, promise in the book of Isaiah that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And we know, Lord, that we are in the world and we're in the flesh. And Lord, we draw on you for your resources and your strength. Because it's not by our might nor our power, but by your spirit, Lord, that we will see victory in our own lives and the lives around us. Lord, that the good news of Jesus Christ would live in and through us. And Lord, we just confess right now our own need for you in our financial challenges, in our, our health challenges, our relational challenges, the fears about the future and uh, our fears about um, our children or our um, circumstances up ahead, and Lord, we wanna give those things back to you this morning. Lord, you promise that if we cast our cares on you, you care for us, that you desire that we would humble ourselves before you, and that you can take those things that the enemy meant for evil and turn them into good. And so, Lord, we stand upon those promises. We stand upon uh, the, the, the truth and the confidence of your word. We stand upon you as a person and believe you for good things. And, Lord, we even cry out, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Lord, to the king of Babylon, if God desires to save me, that's great, but if he doesn't, I will still worship him. And so Lord, set our hearts to worship you, to love you with all of our heart. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do a new thing that you would heal and you would relieve us of fear and anxiety and worry and concern and set our eyes on Jesus himself. Lord, I know that there's people here this morning that that are struggling with, with great challenges, feeling just the weight of their circumstances, and I pray that you can bring in peace, that you'd bring in comfort, And that you yourself, Lord, would inhabit the praises of those people. I know that there's people here that that don't know you. They don't know you as a God of salvation and a God of, of strength and a God of power, a God of forgiveness and goodness. And I pray, Lord, that those people today would turn their hearts to you and give their lives to you so we just thank you, Lord, that you give us truth, that you give us power, you give us promise, and most importantly, you give us yourself, your own personal presence in our lives. And so we worship you this morning. Lord, may we go forth in joy, in the joy of the Lord. Lord, may you be our strength. May our hearts be set this week, this day, this moment, on worshiping you. And we pray this in the most excellent name, the most powerful name, a name above all names, a name that at one point every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. At the name of Jesus we pray these things. And we give you this day in Jesus' name, amen.